next Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, we are going to celebrate our dream team. So if you serve in any capacity, anywhere in our church, we just want to we just want to have a give back moment. The pastoral team is is going to be here, and we're just going to have a great time and, and love on all of you that make our church happen, just like every other church. Let's give our whole dream team a hand. Come on, everybody. God bless our dream team, all of our volunteers. Man, it's good to see you in the house here today. Siri is messing with me up here, folks. If I look like a deer in the headlight there for a second, it's like, what are you doing? Uh, don't y'all love electronics? I used to handwrite every sermon, and I'd get about halfway through it, and I couldn't read it. So, I don't, so at that point, you just, <laughs> we used to call it following after the Lord, but um, I'm not so sure I was doing a good job following sometimes. Um, God is good to us, and we've been in a great series, uh, been a series called What Is It? And we've been discussing and talking about some key theological terms that at times can be misunderstood, and, and sometimes not understood at all. And I've, I've had a little bit of fun with, um, with uh, a happening in the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. Uh, they were complaining concerning the food that they were eating, and and, and God spoke to Moses, their leader, and he, he told him that, that he was going to send quail in the evenings and he was going to send bread for them to eat in the mornings, that they would go out and gather this quail and, and, and this bread. And um, this whole time we've kind of been picking it up in Exodus chapter 16 where it says, That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, now this is the, this is the key. When, when they saw the, these, these flakes on the ground, they said to each other, what is it? And, and that phrase literally comes from the word manna. Matter of fact, they, they named the bread manna. They literally named the bread, what is it? Uh, because it says here they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And I mean, from that, you kind of, you kind of or for me, I'm sort of playing on that to discuss the fact that there are times when things come to us from heaven, uh, things are in the word of God, that we sort of have a manna moment. We, we kind of have this moment where we go, what is it? You know, what, what does that mean? And, and we've, we've discussed a couple of key theological terms. One of them was righteousness. And I think that that, that was, um, uh, we just sort of unpacked right, the idea of righteousness on that Sunday. And then last week we talked about grace. Talked about grace and sort of unpacked a little bit on grace. And what does that mean? Today, I want to take another uh, probably extremely familiar uh, theological term, but can be misunderstood. I, I want to talk about the gospel today. Everybody say the gospel. And we hear about that. We hear about that. But it can be difficult to understand, and, and especially in this light, it can be difficult to understand what the gospel is until we satisfy what the gospel is not. All right? There are a lot of people that 
that view the gospel from an extremely negative pole. Like the gospel to them is to inform everyone that they're going to hell. There's a very negative, that's a very negative approach to, to the gospel. But there's a lot of people that do that. I was reminded, you know, again, and let me say this. Sometimes their definition of what it takes to go to hell falls within the bounds of their own pet peeves and their personal preferences. I mean, I've been told in the past that I was going to hell over something that's not even in the Bible. That, I mean, it's not even listed, but bless God, you're going to hell. I, I, we preached for a man in California that had an associate pastor in his church get so wrapped up in playing golf that the man ended up like quitting the ministry. He quit his marriage. He, he tried to be this great golfer. He wasn't, but he tried to be. And, and, and this pastor, watching this unfold over the course of a couple of years, just kind of got it in his head that golf had to be a sin. If this man was, has just destroyed his life to that point, it had to be a sin. And so, and so he started preaching at his church that um, if you played golf, you're going to hell. And, you know, the weird thing about that is Raylene and I, we were traveling and preaching in, in these churches, and we preached for in this church every year, and, and we played golf. And he knew we played golf. All right, and we visited there a couple of times. This was in this was in the gorgeous city of Napa, California, and um, I mean it was just it was so beautiful. And, and this man, this pastor, had a house that was kind of like an oasis there in the Napa Valley. If not, I mean the whole Napa Valley is like an oasis. But but he sort of had an oasis within the oasis, and and. He lived right across the street from the country club. I mean, some of the most pristine Napa Valley property you could possibly own. And you had to drive right past this gorgeous country club um, to get to his house. And we, we preached there a couple of times. And so one day we were, we were driving with him out to his house. And, and he points over there at this country club and he goes... Hey, you guys play golf, don't you? He said, I could, get you on, I could get you on this country club if you'd like to play it. And I'm thinking to myself, why do you want me to go to hell? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I mean, we didn't play golf when we were there. We respected the fact that he had this, this doctrine, this gospel that, that, you know, and so we didn't play. And we didn't play. I wish we would have played there. You know, because, I mean, you had to be like a member to get on there. But he was a friend of the members and all of that. And so he could have gotten us on there. We didn't play that, that country club. But do you, really, do you really think, I mean, there's a whole lot of people in our church going to hell if golf is a sin. All right? Now, we recognize that anything can become a stumbling block in your life. I mean, if something gets a hold of you to the point that you, you know, you destroy your family and you destroy your relationship with God, I think you have to personally check up and say, you know what, I think I have an issue there. But that doesn't mean everybody has that same issue, and that doesn't make that issue the gospel. You know, I mean, I was reminded of uh, last year, Pastor Trent was talking about going to um, Austin and, and going into a music festival there, and that there were, 
there were some people out there with megaphones and they were screaming at everyone going into this musical fe- festival that, that, um, that if they go in and listen to this music at this music festival that, that you know, God was going to banish them to hell. And I, I, I didn't remember, we go to a lot of concerts, Raylene and I, it's kind of like a, a hobby of ours to hear all the, the greats before they die and... Um, and because anything, any music that came out after like the 70s is just not that great. You know, and so, you know, we sort of have this, this thing to go hear all of those real musicians and, um, and all of the young people in the room going, what? But I don't know what happened. I don't know, I don't know if Pastor Trent preached the spirit of that into Tulsa. We've been in concerts all these years and have never faced the megaphone Christian hecklers, Right? And then all of a sudden, we have them now at the BOK. And, and, we're, and we're walking in to a concert last year, and there's, it, 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 there's this megaphone person, and he's screaming in the microphone, All who enter this place are workers of iniquity, and you will die in the judgment of God. And I'm thinking to myself, I pastor a church. And I go to a lot of church. And, you know, I, I've, I've, given, I've given my entire life to the service of, of the kingdom of God. And, 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 man, I pray like every day. And I, I read my Bible and study and devote myself to God's word. And I just really want to hear Billy Joel sing Piano Man. And I and I really I really don't think that that God is in heaven that in the next two and a half hours that if, if he punches the button I really don't think that that he's going to banish me for for this you know what I'm saying but to but to him this is the presentation of the gospel that this this person these people are heralding this presentation of the gospel that 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 God is after you and that. Very negative poll, very negative thing. And I mean, I would prefer to take the angle that Tony Bennett. Does anybody in the room know who Tony Bennett is? Tony Bennett. Anybody? Anybody not know who Tony Bennett is? Tony Bennett is a is a is a famous singer and and a famous painter. But he's a famous singer and and he sings big band type music like a Frank Sinatra. Uh, came up in that same generation. Uh, Tony Bennett is 91 years old this year, and he still he still tours, he, um, actively tours, like I mean several like like a oh, hundred dates a year or whatever. He still actively tours. And about three or four years ago, I, I saw this documentary concerning him, and he was in his mid to uh, you know he was probably 86, 87 when this was recorded, and. The person that followed him on one of these tours asked a very interesting question concerning him. He said, Mr. Bennett, why, I mean, at, at your age, at your age, why do you still do this? I mean, you don't need the money. You don't need the fame. I mean, I'm sure that you've had enough stage presence that you really don't need the stage after all of these years of, of doing this. I mean, you're like almost 90. Why don't, why don't you quit? Tony Bennett gave an answer that I thought was just amazing that 
I don't think the news person that followed him was expecting him to give. Tony Minnis says, I can't quit. And the man said, why? He said, well, because this gift was given to me by God to be a blessing to his children. And the reporter was like, you're going to have to explain that a little more. And Tony Bennett said, well, when I look at my audience, when I come out and start singing my first song, everyone in the room smiles. He said, I, I, I never have forgotten the reality that those people in that room have problems. Those are God's kids and they have problems. He said, some of them have receive negative doctor's reports, and others of them are going through relational breakups, and some of them are suffering from loss in their life. And they, they, they have all these problems, but for two hours, two hours, God has given me a gift that for two hours, I can help them forget about all of that. He said, I give God's kids a break. And for two hours, all they think about is the songs. And it's like, that's why I can't quit. See, that's, that's a very positive way to think about the gifting and the blessing and the things that God has put in our lives and to realize that God really does care for us. That he really does care about us, about what's going on in our lives, and that the gospel, the gospel in all of its intricate workings, the gospel of Jesus Christ really is what the Greek word for gospel says it is. The Greek word for gospel, euangelion, the Greek word for gospel literally means and can really only be translated good news or a good message. Matter of fact, Luonida's commentary on Greek even, even boils it down in, in, a, in a more perfect fashion, they say it is the content, the content of good news. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is not something that we should be afraid of or something that we should shirk underneath like, like, like God hates us or God is after us or, or that, that, that he is so terribly displeased with us that there is absolutely no hope that, that we can ever even come close to being in his presence. The gospel is good news, not bad news. The gospel is a positive message, not a negative message. And we need the gospel working in our lives. And so if it is, in fact, good news, then we have to witness that somehow in our life. And it really boils down to two basic things. Number one, the gospel is the story of what Jesus did for all of us. It's the story of what Jesus did for all. It's not hard to understand. The good news is that Jesus Christ paid the price for the fall of mankind. And he paid that price for everyone. Matter of fact, Hebrews 9, 12 says it like this. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place... Once for all, by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Now the idea of redemption is to buy back. It means to redeem or to buy back. Well, what did, what did Jesus buy back? Well, he bought back that which was lost when man fell in the garden. 
And these verses specifically reference back to the Old Testament uh, tabernacle system that, that was a foreshadowing of what was to come through Christ, that these, these priests would, would come with the blood of, of, of goats or a bull of a lamb. They would come with this blood, and they would enter into this place called the Holy of Holies. And only the priest could enter there. And they would enter in and they would sprinkle this blood on this, on this thing called the Ark of the Covenant that had two angels with their wings like this. And the very presence of God rested upon this Ark and between these two angels. And, and the priest would come in and he would sprinkle this blood. And, and if, if that sacrifice was accepted by God to redeem the people for a time, to... to, to pay for their sin for a time, then this priest would emerge back and all of the people would rejoice because if the priest made it out alive, that meant that God was having mercy on the people for another span of time. And they did this over and over and over and over and over again for hundreds of years. They did this over and over again. Take the blood in, sprinkle the blood, leave. The people would rejoice because God had forgiven their sin and had, had and then they had been redeemed one more time by, the, by this animal sacrifice. But Jesus Christ didn't go into the temple for this purpose in Jerusalem. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he literally, fearfully, and, 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 and powerfully represented every human being in that heavenly holy of holies, in that most holy place. And he entered in not with the blood of a, a goat or a calf or a lamb. No, he himself became the Lamb of God. And with his own blood, he redeemed everybody with his own blood. He made it available for everyone. He took care of what happened back in Genesis. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. But they did eat from that tree, and mankind fell into what is known as a fallen state. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to put things back in order. He came to fix what was wrong. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 5, it says it like this. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act, which is what Christ did on the cross, one righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all people. That you and I now have the opportunity by faith to be justified, to find the righteousness of God, working on, to receive grace and mercy. That you and I through faith can obtain this and that Jesus Christ came and he redeemed that for us. So now, we don't have to go to a cross. We don't have to sacrifice animals. We don't have to do any of that because Jesus Christ has already done that for us. I've said this often through the years, and I really believe with all my heart, Jesus Christ did the hard part so that we could do the easy part. We're not struggling to try to do the hard part now. 
Jesus Christ went to the cross. Jesus Christ bled and died for us. And he did that in order to redeem that which was lost in the fall, which ultimately is to give us access to the presence of God, that you and I don't have to be afraid. That we don't have to be afraid. That we don't have to be even fearful like that priest may have been because that priest would come into that most holy place and get in the presence of God. And if the sacrifice wasn't accepted, the priest would die right there. And so coming into the presence of God was a fearful thing. We don't have to be afraid about coming into the presence of God because Jesus Christ is the acceptable sacrifice eternally that he obtained eternal redemption for all. So we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can enter into the presence of God with confidence. Why? Because we know that we're not going to die in his presence because our sacrifice is eternally accepted. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is eternally accepted. And so we get to do the easy part, and that is to come by faith, to step into his presence by faith, to acknowledge that we are in Christ by faith, not by works. So Jesus did that, and Paul clearly engages this idea about what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15. I want us to read through it, then we're going to back out back up and talk about it. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you take your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And after that he appeared to Cephas, then to twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep. See there are four primary parts to the gospel that we must understand. And, And the first part is that Christ came and he died on the cross for us. See, I mean, John 1, 14, I mean, the, the book of John begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then we get down to the 14th verse where it talks about Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. That, I mean, John wants us to understand emphatically that Jesus Christ really did come. That Jesus Christ really did walk on this earth as the Son of God. That Jesus Christ really did do everything that John would ultimately record in his book. And he's telling them that you know this is true. We beheld it. We saw it. We witnessed his glory on the earth. We were there when he fed 5,000, we were there and we witnessed it and so did you. We were there when he walked on the water. We were there when he healed leprosy and opened blind eyes and unstopped deaf ears. We were there. We witnessed him raise Lazarus from the dead. We watched him do this. We also watched him die. He came and died. 
Which I mean, when we really understand that, Jesus succumbed to the ultimate price for the fall. God spoke to them in Genesis and said, when you eat of this tree, you will certainly die. And Jesus Christ succumbed to the ultimate result of the fall, death. Jesus Christ died on that cross. Why did he die? So that he could go into that holy place with his own blood. So that he could be the acceptable sacrifice. He died. The ultimate. The ultimate price for sin. He died. But then, but then the next part is that he was buried. Which is the ultimate symbol of defeat. Like I mean seriously. They understood death was final. And they understood that when you went to the grave... It was over. It was over. That was it. It was the ultimate symbol of defeat. This is why the apostle would write later, and he would talk to the grave. He would talk to death. He would say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? See, in Christ, we get to the next part. That on the third day, he rose again. That he came and died. That he was buried. He succumbed to the ultimate price. He was put in the ultimate place of defeat. But then, he rose again. Which is the ultimate example of victory. That the very thing, the very thing that the fall did, Jesus Christ broke its back when he walked out of that tomb alive. He broke its back. There was absolutely no way that, that death would have a hold on anyone anymore. This is why. This is why the apostle wrote concerning those who die in Christ. He said, we don't mourn like this world mourns without hope. No, we have hope. Why? Because the one we serve by faith won the ultimate victory over the fall. That death has no hold on us. That's why he could, he could record those rhetorical questions. Where is your sting, death? Where is your victory? In Christ, you have been defeated. Death and the grave have been defeated in Christ. And then it says that he was seen. Matter of fact, Peter wrote about that when he said this in 2 Peter 1.16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty he's writing that to eyewitnesses reminding them don't forget this is a true story this isn't a fable this isn't a myth this is a true thing and he was writing it to people that could have refuted it but they didn't refute it matter of fact they were willing to die for it because they knew it was the truth They knew it was the truth. They knew Jesus really did this. We watched him die. We watched him get buried. We watched him rise again. And we spoke with him. And all of this folds itself into this dynamic thing about what Christ did for us all. He did this for you. He did this for me. He did this for everyone. So that you and I can have hope. And our response to that. 
This is the thing that I think a lot of people, where you sort of start getting off track and start making a negative gospel, is that they want to add so many things to that. Well, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that, and you got to jump through all of these hoops, when in fact, there's only one hoop, and that hoop is Jesus Christ. And our obligation to that is to believe, is to receive it by faith in our lives. Receive it by faith in our lives. And so when you talk about the gospel, the foundation of the gospel is what Jesus did for everyone. And what did he do for everyone? He came and he died, was buried. He rose again. He was seen. Alive. Hope! Hope! There's hope for us! There's hope for us. There's another aspect of the gospel that I think we should be aware of, and that is, what did Jesus do for you? See, when you're talking about sharing your story, the Apostle Paul, he exampled this very powerfully in his writings. Uh, he, would, he would talk about what Jesus did for all, but then you look at the times in the book of Acts where, where the Apostle Paul uh, would witness in his own life, before King Agrippa, before the magistrates, all this, when he would talk about, he would always include, and as well, this is what happened to me. See, I know this part of the gospel is true because I was riding on the Damascus Road and a light and voice boomed from heaven and knocked me to the ground and I was blind and the voice said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, go, present yourself and pray and he said, I prayed, and they laid hands on me, and my, and my eyes were opened, and now, and now I'm preaching the gospel. Because this is what Jesus did for everyone. But this is what he did for me. As you stand with me, just, just in closing, can I say this, that everyone has a story. What has Jesus done for you? The greatest witnessing tool that any of us will ever have in our lives is the good news of what Christ did for us all and individually. As I was preparing this, I, I included two lines. As a matter of fact, the last, the last three sentences of my notes. If you don't have a story with Christ, Start one today. We believe in Christ and we believe in you. And if you don't have a story, then I, I would just encourage you, just in a few moments, we're going to pray, but I would just encourage you to say, today, today is that day for me. But then, but then I, I wrote this, if you are not satisfied with your story, Make a fresh start today. I mean, it's a type of deal for me, like, like this, this needs to be one of those days where you could take a calendar, you can mark February the 18th, 2018. I made a decision. I made a decision to start a new story with Christ. Now, whether it's the first time or whether it's the thousandth time, it's immaterial. It's immaterial. It doesn't matter. What really matters is today, today, 
on this day, I believe the Holy Spirit is beckoning to us to, to let's get our story right. Let's get our story with Christ right. Let, let, make a decision today. Make a faith confession today. Make a faith confession today. I mean, really, we used to sing an old hymn, and, 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 and the words of that, the course of, of, that, uh, of, of that hymn was, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Anybody ever heard that? Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. My life, my life is worth the living just because he lives. That ought to be an anthem in your heart today. Like when you leave this place today, that you can mark it down right there on the calendar on this day, on this day. I started writing a new chapter. Or maybe you started writing the book. Maybe, maybe it's the, I don't, it doesn't matter. It says, I started a new story with Christ today. I'm beckoning. I mean, I feel it so deep. I feel it so deep in my heart. I'm, I'm beckoning you. Make that confession. Make that confession today. Because I want you to be able to sing that chorus. Because he lives. Because he lives. I can face tomorrow. I wonder if you'd bow your heads with me for a second. I do not make a habit of calling people forward. I don't trick you into raising your hand so that I can then trick you to come up here and stand in front of everybody. Not going to happen. I'm asking you to raise your hand simply because I think you in your heart need to make a, a declaration to God. And you know what? This is my day. And if you're on the sound of my voice right now and you, and you really want what I just ended with, that you want to start a, a, a story or start a new story, maybe a fresh start on, a, on your story with Christ, I wonder if you would just, just slip your hand up and say, you know what, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me that this will be a reality in my life. Would you do that just right now? I promise you I'm not calling you forward. I'm not calling you out. I promise. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. Thank you so much for those hands. Thank you. I feel so strongly about this today. I feel so strongly about it that I, I'm going to give I'm going to give somebody a couple of more seconds here to say, "Come on, come on. This is your day. This is your day. Going to mark it down on the calendar. February the 18th. February the 18th, 2018. My story started fresh. Yeah. All righty. If you you can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to pray together. Father, I thank you right now for every hand that was just raised. I also thank you for the hearts that were raised. I thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to us in such a real way about the gospel in our lives and how to, how to receive it and how to walk in it by faith. Your word declares to us that if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that if we believed in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead that, that we would be saved and today today I'm asking it to be a reality in every one of our lives help us as your people as your children help us if we are astray bring us back home 
if we are confused, clear up our mind. If we are, if we are afraid, let the peace of God rest upon our hearts. I'm asking right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that you make this a reality, a reality in every life, in every heart, rested in every mind. Father, I'm going to pray with these that, that are here and I'm going to ask that they would feel deep within their own spirit that they would feel the faith and the reality of this moment that today their story starts fresh. Everybody pray with me. Say, Jesus, I thank you for what you did for all and what you did for me. Father, right now, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and I know that God raised him from the dead. And I thank you for the salvation that comes with this confession. I pray right now that you would give me a fresh start. Let me have a new story as Jesus Christ reigns on the throne of my heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen to that. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord because He alone is good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Praise God. Praise God.